So what we're doing while Steve is gone, which I think is pretty neat, we're doing a four-part series in the book of Psalms. This is called Favorite Psalms. So that's two Sundays and two Wednesday nights. So the different speakers, we're going to be picking some of the psalms that we love, we've known, we've memorized, and just try to share with you why we love them and why they're so important to us. Now, the book of Psalms is an interesting book. It's almost like the hymnal for the Jewish people. We get the title Psalms from the Greek word thamoi, which I'm mispronouncing, I'm sure, which means sacred song sung to musical accompaniment. Now, that's a long title, so Psalms is easy. The Jewish name for this book is Tahilim, which means praises. And so these Psalms were written, many of them were written by David, 73 have been accredited to David, Solomon, Moses, other writers, and some we don't know who wrote them, and scholars call those orphan psalms. We don't know who wrote them. And Psalm 1 today is one of those orphan psalms. The psalms were written from the time of Moses all the way up until about 400 B.C. So for thousands of years, millions of people have found strength and encouragement and hope and help through these psalms. It's Hebrew poetry, which doesn't really translate well into English in the poetry kind of form. They don't do rhyming. They do contrast and parallels, which we'll see in this. But we're just going to jump in here. Like I said, Psalm 1 is perhaps my favorite. And it talks about being happy, blessed. Oh, how happy. Now, happiness is something that we think a lot about and talk a lot about, particularly here in America. And we always, we ask, what do you want out of life? Well, I want to be happy. I've never talked to anybody that doesn't want to be happy. If we're going to get married, what do we want out of marriage? We want a happy marriage. We talk about our kids. We're raising our kids. What do we want for our kids? We want them to have a happy life. So happiness is something that we think a lot about. But in truth, according to a Harris poll in Time magazine, that in 2017, only 33% of those polled said that they were happy. And the good news was that that was up from 31% of 2016. So about one in three of us Americans would say they're happy. So how do we look for happiness? I'm talking about we, our culture, right? Many people say, well, if I just had more money, then I'd be happy. Now, we have homeless folks, you know, who would think $3,000 a month, they'd be rich. But for some of us, $3,000 a month, we wouldn't make it. Right? So it's all a relative thing. How much money would make us happy? And most of us think it's a little bit more than what we've got. Right? Other people think, well, if I would just marry that man, then I'd be happy. And then there's others that think, well, if I wasn't married to that man, <laughs> then I'd be happy. Or if I was more popular, or if I had this new car, right? There's all these things that we think will make us happy, but this is a happiness that is based on situations and circumstances. If you won the lottery, for example, I don't know if any of you play the lottery, but if you won the lottery and your number was chosen and you've won $5 million, well, you're going to be, I'd be happy, you know? <laughs> Thinking about what I'm going to do with $5 million. But if you drive to Richmond, you know, to, to get your check, and on the way there, you, you lost the ticket. So now you're not happy anymore. It goes up and down. But truly, your financial situation did not change. It didn't change. But you were very happy, and then you were very sad. So the happiness that we're talking about here today in God's Word 
is not a happiness that is based on what happens. We're talking about a happiness, a joy that permeates our lives, that is the foundation. You know, we all know that bad things happen to Christians. We don't get saved and start following the Lord and then everything just straightens up. There are some preachers that preach that message. It's just not true. Most of you here, if you've been alive any length of time, you know that that's not true. Tragedies happen. Bad things happen. Now, we're not talking about, oh, your mother just died. Oh, I'm so happy, you know, she's in heaven. You don't feel that way. You know, you're sad. You're grieving. You're brokenhearted. But underneath there is a strength and a joy, a satisfaction that you know God is going to see you through. That is the happiness that we're talking about. And what I like about this song is that it tells us that we can be happy. You know, when we're young, if you're a teenager, you think, oh, I'm going to have a happy life. And most young people are looking forward to a happy life. But then, unfortunately, as we get older, we get married, and bills come in, and debt, and tragedy, and the car breaks down, and all of these things, life, we just run into life, and it is hard. And I think there's some people that get to a point in middle age or so where they realize or they think, I'm not going to be happy. I am going to be miserable like I am for the rest of my life. And that is simply not true. That is simply not true. And if that's the way you feel, and I'm sure there's some that feel that way, then I hope you really pay attention and and that God would shine that light of his word into your heart this morning. So let's look. Like I said, it's my favorite psalm, and I'm going to read it through first, and we'll go back and, and take it apart. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So we have six short verses. The first three talk about the happy man, the blessed man. Verse 1, what he does not do. Verse 2, what he does do. And verse 3, what he is like. Verse 4 and 5, we have the ungodly man. And then verse 6 is kind of a summary where we contrast the two. So blessed is the man. Once again, this blessed is, you could say, oh, how happy. Some of your translations may say, oh, how happy. Talking about that happiness. We often call it joy, biblical joy. Is the man or woman or child, how happy is the person who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly? So what is this talking about? Oh, so ungodly people. This doesn't mean super wicked, evil, child killers. We're talking about people who care one way or another about God. They might believe in God, but he's not relevant. They don't put any effort into pursuing God. They're just ungodly. They don't care one way or the other. So walks in the council. Council, we're talking about advice. Who do you listen to? But in our day and age, it goes more than just talking to people. We have all this media And this media really affects our lives. So what book are we reading? What TV shows are we watching? Uh, Media, social media, are we involved in? 
Are we spending time in this? Is this bringing us closer to God, or is it pulling us away from God? Now, some people seem to have an addiction to news. Some of us men particularly, we like to know what's going on, and so we spend a lot of time watching news on TV and talk radio. And I have found in my own life, I mean, I watch enough to be informed, but it's very little now. Because if I spend a lot of time in it like I used to do, I find that I don't end up very happy out of it. Have any of you had that experience? That if you just see all the problems and what somebody said about somebody and somebody this, and our news now is mostly, it's news used to be somebody reported what had happened. Now we have people reporting on what somebody said about what somebody said about what somebody said, and when they said it, and what they meant when they said it. So you can get so involved in this, it is not really bringing you towards God. Does that make sense? So we don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. If you need some advice, if you need some advice, you go to a godly person. doesn't mean we don't listen to somebody else. You know, your real estate agent may not be a Christian. It doesn't mean you don't listen to his or her advice. You know, but it means what are you really following? What are you accepting? How is it affecting you is what we're talking about. Nor stands in the path of sinners. Some uh, translations say, nor stands in the way of sinners. Now, we know we're all sinners. Anybody in here perfect? You can come up here. Well, better not do that. <laughs> we're not perfect. We're talking about unrepentant sinners, unforgiven sinners. We know we are sinners now, and Lord help us, we should be. When we sin, we stumble into it. It's not like when I used to be a sinner, when I planned my sin. You know, I leaped into it, looking forward to it. So we're talking about people who don't even know what sin is. They're living a sinful lifestyle. And what does it say here? To stand in the path of sinners. This is talking about our behavior. It's talking about who we hang out with. Now, of course, we go to work, we go to school. We don't go to work or school where everybody that surrounds us are perfect Christians. We have to be around people who are not saved, and this is good. But it's talking about where do we directly hang out with that's affecting our lives. You know, once again, is it pulling you away from God or is it pulling you towards God? It talks about our behavior and sits in the seat of the scornful. The scornful, the one who has turned against God, who mocks God. We're talking here about our identity. Who do you identify with? So if you were to get a group of friends and go to a concert or sporting event, you're going to sit together with your friends. You identify with them. In the time this was written, The men would set together and the women would set together. That's who they identify with. So what has happened, we kind of have a regression here, where now the person has actually become scornful. It's actually become ungodly. It's like you're walking through the living room or the family room at home, wherever the TV is, some folks in the house are watching TV. You're just walking on through there, but something catches your ear, so you stand there a little bit and listen to a little bit, and then you sit down, and you're there for an hour or so, whatever. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you see this regression here of how we can go from just the advice to hanging out and the behavior to becoming what we do not want to be. I was talking just this past week to a young lady in our church, and I mentioned somebody's name, somebody who quite a few years ago was in a church in our county and in ministry, leading up a ministry in that church. And to me at that time, I thought he was a very godly man. And I mentioned his name, and she said, oh. And I said, what? And she said, well, he was my teacher in college, one of my teachers. 
And at the first class, he asked everybody why they were here. And she said, I'm here because I want to learn more about the subject so I can better serve my church and do better ministry. And he just shot her right down. He said, well, I hope we can change that. And all through that class, he mocked her. You know, and God bless her for standing up to it. So how did this happen? I don't know the history. I don't know the details. But we see it happening to here was somebody who was serving the Lord, and now he's a scorner. You know, he's working against God. So this first verse here shows us what as Christians, what we should not do. And the next verse, what a beautiful verse. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Delight in, take pleasure in, love. Psalm 19 says, talking about the word of God, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. In Psalm 119, the psalmist mentions several times, I love thy law, I love thy word. So it's a delight, it's a joy. We enjoy being in the word of God. Now this says law of the Lord, right? Now we're not talking about like the Ten Commandments, the do's and the don'ts. In the Hebrew, this word is Torah. To the person who wrote this, he was talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, that may not be a part of the book that you find a lot of joy and delight in. It was their Bible at that time. But if you went through these books with us, with Pastor Steve on Wednesday night over the past few years, then there's a lot of treasures in there. There was a lot of sweet honey for our souls in there, wasn't there? And so now, you know, we have more than these guys had. We have the whole book. I mean, there's a thousand pages here. God gave us a book. What better way to communicate with a whole earth full of people than giving a book? So we have this whole book. So when we're talking about the law of the Lord, delighting in the law of the Lord, we're talking about the word of God. Now, why is the word of God important? Because it's through the word of God that we connect with Jesus. I meet many people who say, I pray all the time. I pray every day. How much do you read your Bible? Well, not as much as I should. You know, the Bible is God speaking to us. And if you don't read it, you're not going to hear from it. Now, God does speak in other ways. But this is the main way. And this is the way we can read it. It's written down. So how are we doing on this? Is it a drudgery to read the Bible? Do you think, oh, i got to read my Bible? If that's how you think, you need to get down and you say, God, help me. He meditates in it day and night. Now, meditate here, to muse upon, is kind of like a cow chewing her cud. And not many of us are farmers, but you know cows, they'll eat the grass in the morning and fill one of their tummies up with grass, and then they'll lay down under the shade of the tree later and burp some up and chew it again. Sounds a little gross, but that's what it's talking about. Are you not just reading it? but you're taking the time to think about it. In meditation, we're not talking about sit in a lotus position, try to empty your mind and chant om. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about using the brain that God has given us to think about this, to apply it, to try to see what it does in our lives. So meditate day and night. And that's what it means, day and night. Now, I got to confess to you, And I said this was my favorite psalm, and it is because this has meant so much to me. This is really spending the time in the Word. has just been so important in my relationship with the Lord and my growth with the Lord. And I thought, well, Psalm 1, that'll be easy. That'll be easy to do. 
But then this week, I was really having a hard time with this thing. Then God convicted me. and He said, are you doing that verse 2 right there? And I went, yeah, because I wasn't. I wasn't. I usually get up at 5 or 5.30 in the morning. I have to have quiet time. But other people don't get up in my house until about 7. So I can get up that time. I, can, I have a little devotional book I'm reading. I'm reading Oswald Chambers. I'll do a few exercises and stretches listening to um, a Bible teacher, listening to on my phone. And I'll get my tea, and I'll sit down, and I'll spend a half hour to an hour just studying and reading. And then also in the evening, before I go to bed, I would often take some more word time or read a biblically-based Christian book, like some we sell in the bookstore. There's something that's going to help me grow in the Lord. But for the last few weeks, I'd been reading this spy thriller, and I was spending an hour or more every evening reading that, and I, I got very convicted. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading a book that's not the Bible. But if you're reading it and neglecting the Bible, that's what we're talking about. And that's what I was doing. And I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I had to ask God for forgiveness. And, you know, I was right almost to the end of the book where you get to the climax and stuff like that. So I had three or four chapters left. I probably will finish it, but it'll be just someday when I'm relaxed and you have some free time on a day off rather than taking my word time at night. Now, I talk to a lot of people who come into our church office looking for help with their rent, their electric bill, their water bill, and things like that. A few from the church, but mostly from outside of the church. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but the money that you put in that offering box, we dedicate 15% of it to benevolence and missions. So we support missions overseas, we support local things, and you've, you've heard about this before, and it goes to this benevolence. And we spend generally thousands of dollars a month helping people, like I said, both inside our church and out. But all these people that come in, I spend time talking to them, because we could pay their rent for the rest of their lives, but if they don't know the gospel, they die and go to hell, then what good are we as a church? So this is a good bait to bring people in to share the gospel. And I meet many people who say they are Christians. I said, well, how much do you read your Bible? And it is very rare that any of these people who are in this dire financial situation will say, well, I spend about an hour in the morning praying and reading my Bible. They don't. They're praying and asking God for help, but they're not spending time with the resources they have to hear from God and let him strengthen them. I remember this one lady, she said, oh, I read my Bible every day. And I said, well, what have you been reading lately? She went, oh, Now, if you read your Bible every day, you probably know where you are in the Bible, right? And so then I said, well, what did you read this morning? And I wasn't being mean to her. You know, I was being real gracious. And she said, she thought, she said, oh, she said, John 3.16. (laughs) So I'm listening, this lady, you're not reading your Bible. I didn't say that to her. But I shared the gospel with her and told her the importance of the word and how, how so very, very important it is. And I try to read through the Bible once a year. And it usually doesn't take me a whole year. It usually takes me about nine or ten months. And that is good. I've done this many years, and I've learned a lot. But then also, when I just read it like that, I don't get as much from it as if I really take some time to study it. I had for a while, whatever we were doing on Sunday morning, like Romans or Wednesday night, like Judges, I would spend some time studying that studying the passage. And also I thought if something happened to Steve, if he got sick or drove his truck into the ditch or something, then I may be the one standing up here, so I at least ought to know what chapter we're in. But right now, 
You know these new scriptural journals, you've seen these, right? These scriptural journals books that Crossway has put out. They're so awesome. So I've been getting some of these, and I'm just sharing this with you to tell you how I do it. You could do it completely different. But I love these. I can read them at night and lay on my back and like this, and if I fall asleep, it doesn't hurt me if it hits me in the head, like my Bible does. But I'll take a book like Colossians, and I'll read it, and I'll read it, and I'll read it, and I'll read it, and I'll read it. And honestly, the first time I read some of this stuff, I just don't understand it at all. I don't know if you're like that or not, but I'm thinking, what in the world is this man saying? Paul has long sentences. But the more I read it, then I start praying over it. And I see God really speaking to me through it. And just an example, I read stuff and I say, you know, I'm not doing that. I'm not like that. There's a verse in here in chapter 2. It says, talking about what we should be doing, it says abounding in thanksgiving. I'm thinking, I ain't abounding in thanksgiving. So if I just read this through, you know, just like read through the book, you know, about 20 minutes, I don't get that. But if I go back over and take some time and pray through it, I'm thinking, well, I need to work on this Thanksgiving stuff, and I'll ask God to help me. And I used to write it down on little three-by-five cards and carry them around in my pocket, like this. Like I've got some Ephesians verses on here that throughout the day I'll pull out and look at. But so many of my shirts now don't have pockets in them, and so I kept losing these things. And then I found this marvelous journaling app on my phone, and I can just copy-paste them from the Bible app into the journal, and I can just lay there at night or in the morning, and I can just review through these things. And so this is how I meditate on it, how I think about it, how I pray through it, and how it helps me. You know, this is truly my daily bread. And speaking of daily bread, you know, I ask some people about their devotions. They say, well, I read the daily bread every day. Now, the Daily Bread is a wonderful book, and God bless the people that put it out. But if that's all you're eating, that's all you're getting spiritually, it's like all you eat all day is a Pop-Tart. You're not going to live very long that way. You have to take the time. If you read the Daily Bread, that's great, but find some other time. Maybe you've got to drive. You can listen to, to Equip FM while you're driving. There's all kinds of things we can do to get this Word of God into us and let it change us, and it convicts us and changes, and it's just awesome. So what to do, what not to do, and then verse 3, what will be like? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now, if you're really digging into the Word, you know, you're staying away from these bad influences, you're going to be like a tree. A tree is big. It's strong. It's beautiful. It bears fruit. It's useful. It endures. Now, this is what I want to be as a Christian. I want to be an effective Christian. We all know Christianity is more than saying a prayer, getting baptized, and coming to church on Sunday. If that's all it is, you're missing the best part. So, planted by the rivers of water. Now, this reminds me of driving out west, like through Texas and and all where it's kind of barren. They don't get a lot of rain. And you saw these little scrubby things, and these things are just tall. They call trees out there. But then you see a river or a stream, and all along it are these huge cottonwood trees. And they're right next to that stream. Those roots are going down, and they're sucking up the water. And the water, of course, here represents the living Word of God. And as we spend time in it, we're sucking it up. We're growing. Our roots are growing deep. We're getting strong. And what does that result in? It brings forth its fruit in its season. Now, note this, its fruit in its season. You can't go to an apple tree now and get an apple. 
It's not the season for it. And you may think, well, I'm not bearing any fruit in my life. Well, it might not be the season for it. If you're doing one and two and you feel unfruitful, well, just wait and keep doing one and two. God will bring forth fruit in his time. Don't get discouraged if it seems a little dry in some ways. But what kind of fruit are we talking about here? Well, there's at least five places in the Bible that talks about fruit. One is about our character, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. These things will develop in our lives. God's Spirit to the Word. Jesus said, the Word I speak to, it is Spirit and it is life. Goes down in your heart and starts changing you from the inside. It's not like you got to make it to it. The tree doesn't sit there thinking, oh, i got to make some fruit today. The same thing with us. This word will change us on the inside. Will change us on the inside. So the character. Also, it's souls. An apple tree gives apples. A pear tree gives pears. A Christian tree should be producing more Christians. You should be having an effect on unsaved people. Maybe you're not an evangelist, and maybe you're not leading people to the Lord every day, but your life should have some effect on other people, or you should be assisting other people. Paul mentions talking about a contribution he collected to take to another church. He called this fruit, generosity, by your giving to support missions, to support missionaries. This is a fruit. The fruit of good works is mentioned in Colossians, the things we do. So these are the fruits. There's many different things. Now, you may not have all of them, but there ought to be something. And Jesus said, wherefore, by their fruits, you shall know them. If you are a real Christian, there's going to be some kind of fruit in your life. There's going to be something people are going to take notice. Whose leaf shall not wither. We're talking about an evergreen tree here. The leaf doesn't dry up and fall off. An evergreen tree, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now, we're not talking about prospering in a material sense. There are some preachers, false teachers, who would lead you to believe that if you serve Jesus and get saved, then you're not going to be sick. You're not going to be poor. God's going to bless your checkbook. Send them money, and God's going to bless them financially. Now, I do not see that in the Bible. It's not there. As we talked about before, we face some rough, rough times as Christians. But what is he talking about prospering? The fruit we were talking about, the joy and the happiness. I mean, we see people who are very sick, people with cancer in our own congregation, who are some of the most joyful people you can meet. Now, how is that possible? It's because they're prospering. God is blessing them. They have that fruit in their life. Now, recently, suicides have been in the news. Some celebrities who have committed suicide, and these celebrities that seem to have all the things that our culture says will make you happy. The money, fame, all the neat toys. Why are they committing suicide? Now, there has not been much research on the reasons for suicide, apparently, which is very strange, but they say depression and the hopelessness it brings is a big risk factor. And depression is just huge in our society and in our church. And many people are on uh, antidepressant drugs, anxiety drugs, in an attempt to get out of that depression. I think John Bunyan, giant despair's castle, right? You're in the darkness in the dungeon of giant despair's castle. And the only window to bring light into that dark place is through the Word of God. Now, you can't be happy and depressed at the same time. And I have never really 
had a depression has not been a big issue in my life. So if you are battling this, I can't say I know what it's like. I do know that before I gave my life to the Lord, I had a few months of what I know was depression. I was engaged to marry this gorgeous 22-year-old young lady. Two days before the wedding, two days, she said, nope, I don't want to do this. And then she completely broke up with me. And at that time, I did not know the Lord, but my identity was in this relationship. And by God's grace, he let that thing smash. But it was a worse thing that happened to me then. And I was really down. I was really depressed. And I remember riding my motorcycle to work, and it felt like all this pressure was on me. It was just a darkness. And God blessed my Sunday school teachers. It made me memorize Psalm 23 when I was a little boy. And for some reason, I don't know why, I would quote Psalm 23, and it would lift. It would lift. Now, like I said, I battled with it for a few months. It was something God did to bring me to my knees, to call out to God for help. And then I got saved and gave my life to the Lord, and it was gone. But I think God was just showing me the supernatural power of his word. Now, like I said, I do have battles with grumpiness and complaining and discouragement. And maybe you laugh. Maybe some of you have that as well. And, you know, there is a joy and comfort in being miserable or talking about it or complaining. And when I realize I'm doing it and decide I want to stop doing it, if I get into the Bible, I've memorized a lot of Psalms, a lot of chapters, and if I just start quoting some of those Psalms, I mean, it's hard for the words of praise to come out of my mouth and my heart to stay dark for long. Or just open up to this book of Psalms and just start reading it out loud. It's an amazing what God will do. That's what works for me. Now, if you are battling depression, then I'm not a doctor. I'm not saying to stop taking your meds. I'm not going to do that. I am saying, have you done verse 1 and 2? Have you done this? Then if you have, then praise God. Maybe you need those meds. But if you haven't done verse 1 and 2, then that's where you ought to go. See if God won't fulfill what he says right here. So the ungodly are not so, verse 4, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So the righteous, the godly, are like this tree. The unrighteous, the ungodly, are like the chaff. You know, the chaff is the coating on the wheat that you cannot eat the chaff. You have to get it off. Usually they would crush the wheat somehow, and they would have these areas on the hillsides in ancient Israel where they would winnow the wheat. They would toss it up in the air with shovels or pitchforks, and the wind would blow away the chaff. It was no good, and the wheat would fall down. So that's what the ungodly are like. And these are the people, by the way, who we need to reach with the gospel. This is good news. This is good news that we can reach them and share this with them. Therefore, verse 5, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. That the ungodly will face judgment, It's appointed to man once to die, and after that, the judgment. We will all stand before God and give account of our deeds. But the ungodly will not stand means they will not endure. They will not hear, well done, good and faithful servant. They will be sent into hell, you know, the lake of fire. Whereas the godly, the congregation, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The last verse, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. We're not talking about knowing in like know of or an intellectual knowledge. We're talking about a relationship here. Jesus said in John seventeen three, 
He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you sent. In Matthew 7, Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. We're talking about, like, I know my wife. Personal, close relationship. The Lord knows us in that way. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. The way of the ungodly shall perish. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So today, if you're not doing this, well, do it. And if you don't know the Lord, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then it's time to to ask the Lord to forgive your sins, to ask the Lord to come into your heart, to trust him that he dying on the cross, his blood shed washes away all of our sins. Through his resurrection, we can have new life. And his spirit comes into our heart. So I beseech you, you know, to come up and speak with me or somebody else here at the church or get down on your knees and cry out to God and ask him to help you and save you. So let's close in prayer. Lord, your word is alive and powerful. Help us not to ignore it. Help us just to give our lives to it. In Jesus' name, amen.